At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Welcome to Healthcare Americana, coming to you from the Freedom Doc Studios. I am your host, Christopher Habig, the CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American healthcare. Almost synonymous with physicians and their careers are the amount of money that doctors are in a position to make. I am a ardent defender that physicians should be well compensated because they are some of the smartest, most empathetic, and hardworking individuals that society has put forth. Not everybody can be a physician. Not everybody can be a nurse practitioner. Not everybody has the caring heart nor the gumption to actually take care of our sick and vulnerable in our society. So it makes a lot of sense that they should be well compensated. Whenever you have well-compensated individuals that are very specialized in a study, such as medicine, there's always people on the sidelines waiting to not necessarily take advantage of you, but there's an old joke about getting charged doctor prices. But good news is there are people who are able to put forward a very competent, very trusting financial portfolio and be able to help out physicians manage their money so that it's not a race just to get rich, and I'm going to borrow his words on this one, but using money as a tool to enhance your lifestyle. Please welcome Daniel Wren of Wren Financial. Daniel, I, uh, I apologize if I, if I stole your thunder there, but uh, so many times we hear stories of physicians who are living paycheck to paycheck or physicians who are not credit worthy and can't even get a small loan to start a new practice how does that happen to people who are so educated, so smart, you're just baffled by, you're like, well, how are you in this position in the first place? How does that happen? Yeah, I think there's two main causes. Uh, number one is financial literacy. And that's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, there, there's just so much training, but it's focused on science and medicine and all those uh, fields. But you know, there's not a lot of financial literacy or education around personal finance in the educational system. And so, you know, you have to like go out of your way to learn the basics. Like you have to go find it. It doesn't come to you. It's not part of the curriculum. And so you're naturally going to, on average, kind of get behind on that financial literacy piece. And so that's a big issue. I believe you have to have financial literacy in order to see good financial outcomes. Otherwise, you're going to have bad outcomes and be subject to like taking advantage of and that, that kind of thing. So that's the big first piece. The second piece I would say is like this values dis disconnect. You know, we all have this, this is everybody's susceptible to both of these things, but I think we all tend to get caught up in this like pursuit of more money and more stuff that it buys. And I think that's like just the culture we're in. It's like the world tells us like 
more is always better. Um, and so we end up following all those things and kind of like think that's going to be what's going to solve all our problems. And, you know, we kind of attach to that as our, you know, values basically. Um, and that, that in itself is going to lead you to a tight financial position and increased chances of like burnout and stress and anxiety and all the, you know, ultimately regret and all the, you know, things people don't want to have happen. The problem there is like, you've lost touch of like what your own personal values are. And that's where it's at. Like, you need to really be clear on your own personal values and you need to have financial literacy in order for all this stuff to work out well. Physicians occupy like a, a weird little segment with that because, you know, as I mentioned, very well compensated on the most part, but yet real actual business experience tends to lack. I mean, very few physicians have jobs, you know, um, I mean, gosh, going back to maybe high school, very few physicians are able to support a coursework for pre-med or biology or chemistry majors working through college, let alone medical school, residency, you're running around ragged. There's no actual experience or very little of it that looks down and sits down and says, this is revenue minus expenses equals your profit from a business standpoint. And I can see that very easily translating into the personal side of it. So where are we going wrong as an educational system? Because I want to start there, like that foundation of knowledge. And then, you know, how does somebody else pursuing a different career path figure that out? Not saying that they all make good financial decisions, but they have less money to put at risk, yet they're able to build on real world experience to realize, wow, I, this is how I live within my means. This is how I don't get taken advantage of. Yeah, I think, you know, it's starting to get built into the curriculum already. I've seen lots of residency and fellowship programs add on like financial literacy curriculum, which is fantastic. I've spoke at different programs. That's it's fun because they're eager for it. And I think that's where it has to go is just building into the program. That's where you're going to get like wide adoption. Like right now, it's kind of like the geeks that like me and that'll that go seek it out. Like White Code Investor is a great resource. If you're interested in financial literacy, go check out White Code Investor, read all his stuff. It's just got a ton of important basic knowledge that you really need to know. Um, but like, I don't think he's reaching the masses at all in the physician sphere. Um, and in order to get to that level, I think you have to incorporate it into the programs and, you know, build out a curriculum and make that a part of it. And then, you know, above and beyond that, I think in terms of getting that entrepreneurship experience and like the lack of knowledge and experience. One thing I hear that a lot from, so we get to work with families, physician families like all day long. And, and I just hear those kinds of things come up a lot because I'm challenging a lot of them to like consider entrepreneurship, gain financial literacy. And oftentimes they'll say, you know, I don't have any of that. Like I, or maybe even like, I don't have that skill set. That's the, that's another thing they say a lot is I don't have the skill set. I'm like, you guys are some, you're, you all crushed me in school. Like y'all are super smart. You can study 10x the average person speed wise. So like you can get the we're, we're not talking rocket science, like we're talking basic personal finance and basic entrepreneurship is what you need to kind of go that direction. And of any segment of the population, physicians can like learn that stuff in a weekend or something, you know, soak up some podcasts and go read some books and then you're rocking. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of resources out there. It, that's interesting that you say skill set. I kind of, I kind of laugh, smile like that. It's almost like if I'm not an expert at it, then I'm going to stay away. It's this weird mentality. It's kind of the opposite of what a lot of entrepreneurs have is this, this kind of yearn, this desire to keep learning and keep growing. 
do you feel like that mindset is inherent in a lot of people who choose medicine or is this something that is environmental? Like this is beaten into a physician when they start taking those hospital jobs and you have administrators saying, just focus on this one. Don't look over here. Don't ask questions. That's a good question. I think it's the system because it wouldn't make sense otherwise. I think the system of medicine kind of beats it into them. But it's interesting, too, that like physicians have a lot of the characteristics of entrepreneurs, too. Like not not the financial literacy aspect of it and the knowledge aspect or experience aspect. I'm talking about like problem solving skills, like ability to deal with crisis moments, like being able to, you know, be creative about coming up with solutions to these problems that they, they, they have come about and thinking on their toes and working hard, like really hard work. Like those are all like super important foundational aspects of, you know, getting into business for yourself. And I think physicians have all those things. Now, not everybody, I don't think everybody's meant to go that direction, but I don't know. I'm curious your thoughts. Do you do you agree? Do you think it's a system or do you think it's I, I think it's a system, but it's it's the system because it has been regulated that way. Twelve, fifteen years ago, that's not even a thought because we have the predominance of independent practice, which is a small business and, and you can even take that and, and to me entrepreneurship is an experience. You know, you can go out and say, Hey, I'm gonna start a small business and then you can grow that small business and then all of a sudden you become an entrepreneur because you're looking you're operating at scale. Our country's physicians have a long time been independent operators and small business owners. Mm -hmm. And ACA gets passed, and then you have codified into law the fact that you you as a small independent practice can charge pennies to what the hospital can charge insurance companies. And then third-party payers come in and just dominate it. And you can see how easily we fall down the rabbit hole and just spiral down into oblivion right there. So, yeah, I, I would say it's it's systemic, but it's driven by overregulation and overreach from a government that whiffed on the ACA thinking that consolidation would help drive innovation, which to anybody out there with two brain cells is like, well, that doesn't make any sense because bureaucracies and large organizations are the least innovative. Yeah out there i know we could possibly interrupt if if every major corporation did everything perfectly there wouldn't be room for you know the local burger joint or you know the local coders or the local it guys if they did everything well there wouldn't be any room for you or i sitting here talking to each other and if i'm hearing that and if i'm a physician and i'm like agreeing with that idea like that the system has kind of like influenced me to be a certain way what my reaction i feel like would be is that i'm like i would be aggravated and it would feel kind of like a cog in the wheel i'd be like i mean that's where you start to get the cog in the wheel feeling it's like do i really want a system to be directing how i am as a person that sounds ridiculous to me totally totally but it's been this small change right it's taken 15 20 years to impact to get to this point yeah with roots started back in the 80s when third-party payers really started to take over and you know, I'm curious from your experience, you know, in the financial side of it, looking and walking physicians and their families through, you know, their assets and what they're able to do. There's this term, and it was an old podcast guest, like right when we got started, who said, I have a firm belief that physicians and most people, most Americans have an addiction to salary. They think that earning a salary is job security. And it wasn't until the pandemic where they realized, wow, I can be let go any second. 
I don't know if the next minute I'm actually going to be employed and then what's that going to do for my paycheck. The only way to have job security is to go out and have your own practice, build it up there so that other than an act of God or anything along those lines, aliens invading or whatever it is, you're going to have income. You're going to have an ability to put food on the table. So it's this addiction to salary mindset. And that's how I would put that back on you. Are you seeing this? That's like you talk to people that are like, well, I would love to go out and start my own practice, but I got to have my paycheck showing up every other Friday. Oh, yeah, that's completely that's probably the number one reason whether they say it or not um, is the fear, the risk, the fear of taking the big jump. And it typically is rooted in the, the financial aspects of it. It's like, how could I give up this paycheck? Um, how could I take on more debt? Like I got student loans like this. But I, I think part of it, too, is like, what do you what is money's purpose for you? So I think you have to change. You got to flip the script on it. It's like a lot of times we kind of view money as like more is always better, right? I said that I think at the beginning, um, more is always better. So more salary is always better. And that's where we, we kind of leave it at that. Uh, but you got to look at it. I think a healthier view is to say money is a tool to like improve my life. And so if your life needs improving, money is your tool to get there. And so really all you have to do is learn how to use the tool and the tool it's a fantastic tool if used, you know, correctly. I mean, you can use the tool for bad things, but if you learn to use the tool for good things, money can like totally increase your ability to go start a business or go take a risk or be like, you know, screw you boss. Like, this is ridiculous. I'm out of this system. Like, I don't want to be a cog in the wheel. And that's the cool thing about it. I'm curious what your take on, you know, somebody coming out of residency and they call you up and say, hey, I, I'm curious about doing this. You know, once again, we're talking with Daniel Wren of Wren Financial. And so when I talk to doctors, they're like, yeah, you know, we had one, like uh, an insurance agent came and talked to a bunch of us during our residency. And then another financial advisor came in and said, this is how we should invest our money. And then I went ahead and I did that because that's the only person who the school put in front of me. So I thought that they were trustworthy. Hmm. How do you react to that? And then how do you how does that conversation flow from there when somebody calls you and says, was that the right, was that the right move? Did you see the deep breath? <laughs> I felt it. I actually, I, uh, I felt that hundreds of miles away. I have, I have some frustrations with our industry. Um, we have a lot, I think, you know, I don't know the latest statistics, but it's, you know, probably 98% of financial advisors, I'm saying it in air quotes, are really functioning. Like if you really look at it, they're functioning as salespeople. Um, and so, the problem is, it's like, if you went to a car dealership, you're not going to go like, say, hey, can I get some advice on how much I should spend on the car? They're going to say a lot. That doesn't all make of any sense. All of your money. All of your <laughs> Nobody money. Nobody would do that. They're going to say, the max. Like, I got a really nice one here in the showroom. Um, nobody's going to do that. But you at least, like, you know what you're going in to get. Like, you know you're going to see a salesperson in the car a lot. The problem with the financial services industry is we all call ourselves financial advisors. And it's incredibly confusing and 98% of us are selling products, which are like selling cars. And so that immediately is a huge conflict and skews the advice way heavy one direction. And so you're trusted. So physicians see it as that they're like financial advisors, trusted advisor. Well, that you would think that's what it is. And so they trust them. And then they get, you know, oftentimes they get burned. And they're either like, I'm never doing this again. I'm going to do it myself. Or they're like, you know, I got to go find another one. And, you know, it's kind of a cycle. 
there's a lot of parallels with what you just said in how health insurance is sold too. And so I think a lot of docs and a lot of people listening to the show understand that, you know, my health insurance broker isn't paid by me. They're incentivized by the insurance companies to sell me as much health insurance as they possibly can, regardless of what it does to my bottom line or to my employees. So I think in all of healthcare, there's this underlying current of incentive. And I think, I gosh, you could probably say that for all of, all of human nature and business, right? Where are the incentives and how do you align with people who are incentivized to see you succeed? You operate in a different way. Give us a little background on Ren Financial and how your business model is very similar to the direct care, direct primary care model. Yeah, it's. Um, I love talking with my the families that I work with that have direct care practices because it's we can almost like we, we get to talk shop about our businesses on top of just normal stuff. So I was in the industry, like the air quote financial services industry. I was a financial advisor. I was selling products, really. Um, so I was kind of like working in disguise and didn't feel great about it. But I didn't know what alternatives were available. I thought I was kind of doing the best thing there was. And there really wasn't many alternatives. In 2014, I kind of like came across some really solid alternatives and basically had kind of like a Jerry Maguire moment and bounced out really quickly when I realized there was alternatives. And the alternative was basically like, I'm out on all, I realized I couldn't provide the best advice possible for my clients with all the system, the, the products and the junk that they require that you sell and all the, you know, salesperson requirements. So I had to disassociate with that completely and go, it's exactly like direct care and go a hundred percent attachment to the client. So they pay us directly. We work for them. It's that cycle is the engagement. It's like they pay us. We work for them. We provide the services. And so our incentives are now like 100% value to them. We have no association to all these other third parties that have skin in the game. And, and it's very opaque ways of getting paid. Like nobody could figure out how we got paid back in the day. Like nobody knew where their money was going. Like it was all kind of like, yeah, just trust me. It'll be okay. So I got away from that in 2014. And the idea was to say, we're just going to cut all that out and I'm going to work directly for you. You're going to hire me just like direct care. Like you're going to pay um, as long as you want it. And if you need to leave, it's okay. You know, we just stop the payment and the services and it's all good. I mean, so it's been fantastic. The problem with it was when I started in 2014, nobody was doing it. And everybody was like, we don't even know what you're doing. And there was not even like awareness. Market awareness was not there. It's bringing transparency into a very opaque marketplace. Now, I'm curious because there's so many parallels, right? And you probably get asked a lot of the same questions that, that I get asked when I, I talk to physicians and, and providers about you know what this means to convert into a cash-based model. Are you limited now that you don't work with any major firms or anything like that based on commission? Are you limited on your investment options? No, not at all. It's actually, there's more options. <laughs> Um, I guess we're no, no, that's not the correct. We're limited in that we can't, we don't, we won't offer commission-based products, but all the commission-based products are for the most part is there that non-commission products with commissions built on top of them. Again, so that parallels medicine too, because I'll tell a doctor all the time, it's like, well, actually, you know, when you leave a very narrow network that you are basically being strong-armed into referring just to your hospital now you can go out and send people to the best people and it doesn't even have to be local. Like domestic medical tourism is a real thing and people can have amazing results and amazing treatment in a neighboring state. We still don't need passports to travel state to state. So 
why not? Like, seek out the best care. And then your patients love you and you have a better relationship and you have less patients too. Like, you can't be tight with 2,000 plus patients. It doesn't work. Versus if you have, you know, a few hundred, you can get a really solid relationship going, which allows you to provide better care. I mean, it's common sense. Absolutely. Another pain point of mine, you know, when it comes to physicians in business, and of course, you know, we've been for the better part of a decade helping physicians start their own businesses, is local and community banking. It's like every single bank out there has this, oh yeah, we have products for physicians, and then you get into the weeds, and it's, oh no, this was just a loan to go out and buy a new toy. I want you to go buy a new boat or a car or an airplane. Mm. No bank out there had an instrument for helping a physician actually set up a new business. And that was just absolutely mind-blowing to me. So kind of echoing what we talked about before when people see a physician and be like, hey, you know, the normal price is 100 bucks, but you're a doctor, so I'm going to charge you 150 and have that physician markup. Have you had any experience with your clients navigating the banking world when it comes to business startup or even trying to get any type of movement from them that's not just going out and buying a toy? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to remember it's... I don't mean to say like people are always bad, but like people are influenced and they're self-serving. They're self-serving, me included. Like we're, if you're human, like then money is a conflict of interest that will pull you in a direction. And you have to just be, it's more about, I think it's more about awareness of those things and recognizing that the reality of how humans work. And so going into the banking world, I I have to remind a lot of the families we work with, like they have incentives built into their system and they're going to, you know, try to push you a certain direction. And, you know, they're going to want you to stay with the one institution and, you know, not go to the other companies or competitors. But we have to remember that it's about you and your interests first and not about because they meet the bankers and bankers are really nice and, you know, I'm sure they're good people, but like that isn't a reason in itself. I mean, it's important to have a relationship. I'm not trying to say that, but like you have to also look out for yourself and be careful with those, particularly those relationships, because oftentimes like, you know, we get clients that are like, I'm buying a $2 million house out of the blue. And I'm like, sometimes those ideas are planted in from, other financial people in their lives. And you just have to be really careful because there's that cultural pull. Like I was talking about at the beginning, like there's this pool we all have towards like more is always better. Mm-hmm. I blame Instagram. I'm just gonna go out and say that. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm just like, I, uh, TikTok. I don't know if I've just become like crotchety and grizzled in, in uh, my yeah, ever yeah. increasing age here, but I'm just like, that darn social media, and I shake my fist at it. You know, you know, all these people are are living these fabricated lifestyles, and it's like, oh wow, I I can't be happy, you know, looking around and and uh, with what I have right now, I need to go out and do what they're doing and do what they're doing, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, nobody's gonna care about your money more than you will. I mean, I think that's also a, a worthwhile thing to consider. Another one of my favorite quotes about money: "Don't tell me what's most important to you." show me your calendar and your checkbook and I'll tell you what's most important to you. So you have to really like, your money says a lot about you. And now there is the financial literacy piece. So sometimes it's just that that's causing the problems. But sometimes there's also this values thing creeping in. Like there's this influence, cultural influence that's pulling you the wrong direction. Daniel, I'm curious in your experience here as we wrap up the episode, 
a lot of times when we talk to doctors and we're like, hey, you can step out of the hospital world. You can step into independent practice. You can see 20% of the patient panel you did before and make twice as much money where I can see them just have this internal conflict and they're saying, well, wait a minute, profit is bad. I've been taught that profit in medicine is evil. It's bad. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be doing that. How do you talk to your clients and say, you know what? Profit isn't this evil thing out there. Yeah. Um, profit can be evil, but that's kind of like saying the money is the root of all evil. Like it's not, there's more, it's the love of it's money. The love. There's the, the, mis- love, the there's worship a, of that's money. That's correct. It's that's the problem. It's it, there's more to it than just saying profit is evil. Profit like misused is evil, <laughs> but profit for the right purposes is worthwhile and healthy. And I think it's important, especially if you're a small practice. Like really, all that it is, it's pretty simple. It's like your salary plus, plus profit is what your compensation is. And a lot of times these practice owners, it's not like they're just stealing money. I think the patients are happily paying and the profit is used to run the business and to feed your family. And like, if it's for your business versus the hospital systems business, like I'm convinced you're going to be the physician I'm speaking to is going to be a better steward of their money than the hospital system in today's world, like all day long. Profit is kind of like the engine to grow the business slash, you know, feed the family and pay for employees and and that sort of thing. But I have seen that mindset. It's a mindset thing with profit. Yeah. It's, it's this healthcare um, overall. It's like we have to take care of people and money is, is something we shouldn't talk about over there. So I, I like to remind doctors, and, and this is, I'm borrowing everybody else's sayings that they've come on in and, and, and giving me some nuggets of gold. But I go, Doc, if this is your mission in life, you can't have a mission without a margin. You just can't do it. It's impossible to keep the lights on and train your staff. They're like, oh, well, I guess that's true. I do need to be making money. You don't need to go and charge somebody $40,000 and, and, and miscode a bunch of you know, different treatments and then treat that patient like garbage. Now you can actually provide a patient experience at a transparent price where they actually build in that relationship. Daniel, last question for you. What are your top three nuggets of advice, words of wisdom to a, uh, a physician who is finishing up medical school, going into residency, starting to earn money for the first time? I would say number one is understand where your money's going. And it starts with like looking at your paychecks, your pay stubs and like understanding like what's coming in. Am I paying taxes? Like, is there a retirement plan? Like understanding the line items on your paycheck. And then it comes into your bank account and understanding where it goes there. Like that's really important to like understand where your money's going. And ideally you are thinking about it from the standpoint of the future you know, where is my future income, especially if you're in training, like where, as I transition to practice, what, what I, what would I like my future income to do for me? And then the second piece I would say is like, start to think about that from the standpoint of like, what's most important to you? Like, where is your money going? And is it in alignment with what's most important to you? So I used to do budgets all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like a, I'm a personal finance geek, obviously, but I would look at budgets like less is always better, but Nowadays, my philosophy's changed a little bit. It's more like, let's look at where the money's going and is it in alignment with most, what's most important to me? If so, like, fantastic. Like, more of that, less of the stuff that I'm like, eh, that, that's really important. So spending money, aligning money with uh, values is, is key. Um, the last thing is, I think the people around you is important. 
Another quote I like is you're the average of your five best friends. So if we're talking about the business finance world, like you'll have kind of a team. Like I think a, a lot of physicians I work with are hardcore DIY lean. And so I think it's important. You can add a lot more to your life if you start to think about it as a team. But you still have to be caught. You don't want to just add random people. Like you have to be cautious about who you are around. And there are really good people that will help turn you into a better person. One more question for you here, just because I can't re couldn't resist after <laughs> you're talking. Do you think we see the pendulum swing that is so heavy in employed physicians? Do you think we're starting to see that swing back in where doctors are saying, you know what, independent practice is where I need to be? I don't know the numbers. I know what our, we, you know, work with several hundred families and I know what's brewing in their world and it's completely brewing. Like people are super frustrated with the system and are leaving more and more often. So I think the pendulum is going to start to accelerate that direction. I'm, I mean, I hope it does because I think it's a fantastic thing, but yes, I see it in our own small world of the people we deal with. And I, I think that's probably a good reflection and we work with a younger group. So I think that's an even better reflection of the future. Daniel Wren of Wren Financial down in beautiful Lexington, Kentucky. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Yeah, it's been fun, Chris. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes. Subscribe to our mailing list and visit our online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.